0: What is up, everybody? It feels good to be back in the saddle on a Wednesday night. Both of us in our usual studios. He is Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino. This is Shout, a Buffalo football podcast brought to you by Tops Markets. Falling leaves and crisp weather means it's our favorite time of year, tailgate season. And you can win the ultimate tailgate accessory from Tops just by purchasing brands you already love. As seen on Shark Tank, Talgate and go kitchen is a portable outdoor kitchen and dry box made for any outdoor cooking setting. Set it up in the backyard, backwoods or stadium parking lot in seconds comes with built-in cutting boards, paper towel holder, bottle opener, spice rack, food divider, compartments, storage and net and lid and knife magnet. Head over to topsmarkets.com for more details. What's up, Ryan Talbot? How are you buddy?
1: Hey, I'm doing great. That that also sounds pretty great. It has a little bit of everything to it. So, yeah, head over to Tops and check that out.
0: Yeah, like grilling away from home is always an adventure. Like uh, the last couple of years, I've done like a little get together with the baseball team. We've gone to this pavilion and I brought like a little charcoal grill. And it's amazing. You get so far down the road with the the gas grill that it's almost like, I don't know, I felt like a bit, a bit like a caveman, like uh, like, you know, trying to like, you know, get some sparks off the rocks, you know, push those two together. It didn't work out. I cooked the sausages just horribly, to be honest with you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, it, but it's always a big difference when you go from a gas grill to charcoal or something else. So completely understood.
0: Let me set you guys up a little bit. Uh, we are going to have a guest, as promised. We've got a couple guests coming over the next couple weeks, Ryan. I, I've been hard at work today and yesterday kind of putting together a couple guests for the show in uh, over the next couple weeks. Uh, more to come on that. Nate Geary will join the show tonight. And I thought... It's Miami Dolphins week to a tag of Viola. I don't know if he has a bigger fan in the world than mm. Nate Geary. So I felt like we had to bring him on here, get his thoughts on his, his performance from uh, Sunday and, and kind of look ahead to, to, to Sunday and see what may, might be in store. Um, we're going to talk about between you and I, our biggest surprises through two games. We have two great games to kind of dive into what's happening that maybe we didn't expect. I want to get into that a little bit, but we're going to start off with the laundry list of injuries that the bills currently have uh, on the roster. I mean, there is, I'm going to bring it up here and we can just kind of go through it one by one, because when this thing dropped today, I think a lot of fans kind of, you know, they were, I think a lot of them were expecting Bad news, Ryan, but this one was, was, was deep. And there's some good news kind of tucked in here as well, but uh, the bills conducted a walkthrough today and um, limited in practice today. Gabe Davis still with the ankle, Mitch Morris with the elbow. He suffered it in the game the other night, but he returned Ed Oliver ankle injury limited, which is a good, good sign. He has not practiced since the Rams game. So that's a, that's good news. Jordan Poyer popped up with a foot injury. Uh, I saw him out uh, last night at an event in town. He was releasing his brand new kicks, which if you haven't seen the pictures, go check them out. Uh, they were uh, they, they, they're really cool. More about that in a little while. Tim Settle calf injury. He was limited as well. Did not practice Micah Hyde neck injury. Dane Jackson neck injury. The two that we knew about Dawson Knox pops up with a foot injury. And if, if you go back to the broadcast, I saw them working on him and on the sideline he returned to practice or to the game played the rest of the way so I don't know how serious that is but noteworthy Jordan Phillips with that hamstring uh, a DNP as well and then Matt Milano with the stinger in the game he would have been full today uh so what's your first big takeaway from this right
1: uh, it's a pretty long injury list for week three or heading into week three, com- considering how good the bills have been the last few years, or maybe how lucky they've been in terms of keeping their guys healthy. Obviously they have a state of the art facility to keep these guys in good shape throughout the season. But, you know, I, I think a lot of fans, this list gave them a little bit of pause, uh, scared them a little bit when they saw this. So that was my first thought, my, my second thought, man, I know you only asked for one, but my second thought, <laughs> give me was, them all Ryan, give me all the thoughts. The the players that are limited, I think, are trending in the right direction, especially guys like Davis and Oliver, who didn't play last game. Uh, Same with Tim Settle. And then even looking at the did not practice guys, uh, your Micah Hydes, your Dawson Knox, I think the Bills can get away with not practicing them all week if they have to and even having them play on Sunday just because they know this system. There's no concern if they miss a week of practice. Uh, Knox has been here long enough. Hyde is the backbone of that defense. As long as he feels good enough to go come Sunday, he doesn't need to practice at all. So cautious optimism for the limited players and don't panic yet on those did not practice or participate players. What about you?
0: So the first thing that I've been thinking about since the game uh, ended was looking ahead and thinking about who are the most important players on both sides of the ball for the Bills against the Dolphins, right? You start with Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, maybe the hottest quarterback wide receiver combo in the league. But on the defensive side of the ball, outside of maybe Von Miller, who I think is going to be really important in this game, Micah Hyde, he just shoots at the top of the list. And he's a DNP today. I think you make a great point in that you can get away with him not practicing all week and have him, you know, be maybe questionable. And then if he feels good enough to go, have him go. But I think it's super important. His presence out there, Ryan, I was talking about this on a couple of radio shows yesterday. I feel like his presence forces quarterbacks to think twice before they attack down the field. And if you go back and watch what the Dolphins did this week against the Ravens, they were just obliterating them down the field. Now we're going to get into it a little bit later. I don't know what the Ravens secondary was doing. It was a really tough outing for Kyle Hamilton, the Notre Dame product uh, in his second career start. Uh, We'll talk about that as well, but having Hyde out there, there's there's pros to a look at Jaquan Johnson. As you continue to move, move forward with this roster, with this defense and questions about Jordan Poyer. This is the last year of his contract. You know, what is, uh an extended look gonna gonna be like with Jaquan Johnson. But having Micah Hyde in this game is important, in my opinion. It's ominous right now. He didn't practice today. It's a neck. Sometimes those things take take a little time. So I think there's there's reason to have concern there.
1: Yeah, and I'm with you 100% on Hyde and Poyer uh, needing them out there, needing them on the field because, one, they they limit opposing teams being allowed to have those big plays down the field because of the way that they play, uh, because of the fact that they communicate with the cornerbacks and tell them where to line up, What you know, a, a lot of the intricate details. Uh, There's a lot of blown coverage in that Ravens game against the Dolphins last week, a lot of big plays. There's some bad play where for a cornerback turned around, uh, probably would have had an interception on one of the touchdown passes that uh, Tega Viola threw to Tyreek Hill. So little things like that, where you, you don't expect that from Micah Hyde or Jordan Poyer. And it's really important to have both of those safeties out there in such a, an early, but big AFCs matchup. Jessica tennis over on YouTube.
0: Thank you for the super chat, Jessica, one of our most uh, active participants in the chat. Jordan Phillips, excuse me, uh, obviously popping up with the hamstring this week. Any talk on how serious it is? And I also want to hear from you, Ryan, in in terms of how important of a piece this week he is, because I have my thoughts on it. I saw Phillips out at the Jordan Poyer event yesterday. Seemed like he was moving around pretty well. A DNP today. Hamstring is always a concern for a big guy walking around at 330. You need healthy hammies to get out there and rush the quarterback, which they're going to really need their interior pieces to do. There has not been talk on how serious it is, but again, this is of, I don't want to say equal concern, but it's, it's right up there for me.
1: Yeah. I think that's fair. Listen, the first two games he's, he has played great that being Jordan Phillips, he's uh, he brings the emotional standpoint uh, in terms of the way he gets his teammates fired up. Uh, this is a team that I'm I'm sure he would love to beat. that being the Miami dolphins. So you know, he's been a big factor for this team. Obviously, if you get at Oliver and Tim settled back, it lessens the blow if he cannot go. And obviously, you still have Daquan Jones. But he has been as good as anyone on this defense through two weeks. And uh, unfortunately, it looked like the uh, hamstring injury kind of came on the, I believe it was the pick six interception. He kind of pulled up lame on that. So uh, you hope that he's doing okay. But hamstring injuries, especially for those, uh, defensive tackles that can be a little bit tricky. It might be uh, better to keep him out for a week if if he's not showing improvement throughout these next few days.
0: Shout out to Billy Piano on YouTube with the super chat. We appreciate you, Billy. This one's good from Bob Fink. I think. Uh, but if if Hyde is missing, don't you think the Bills can still win a shootout uh, even if Hill gets on on fire? I think that's a great point uh, because I think you know we'll get more into this. I think on Friday when we dive into the the the, the specific preview for this game. But I think that that's one of the things that maybe isn't being talked about enough is sure. The Dolphins offense looked great, especially in the fourth quarter of the other game, but for eight quarter, seven quarters this year, the bills offense has been a juggernaut. It's been unstoppable. And to be honest with you, I was a little bit underwhelmed with the Miami Dolphins defense on Sunday. I thought their pass rush was weak. Uh, I thought when they relied upon the four man front, to, to get into the backfield, Lamar Jackson had his time to kind of survey the field and find an open target. Rashad Bateman took Xavier Howard deep for, uh, I think it was like a 70-yard touchdown. Big question marks for the sh- the normally shut down corner. He also dropped a uh, an interception in that game. So can the Bills win a shootout in this game? Sure. And I think that where Josh Allen plays so well in Miami, look at some of the stats, Ryan. We've talked about this before. If they go on the road and they're and they're clicking on offense, it might not matter what you do defensively against two in this offense. Cause I I don't see them replicating a 42 point performance against this defense.
1: Yeah. So. I mean, first shout out to Billy piano coworker of mine. Thanks for the super chat. Uh, and for this question itself. Yeah. The, the bills can absolutely defeat Miami in a shootout, but uh, I'm not sure why we necessarily think it'll even be a shootout. Uh, go back to week one, Miami only put up 20 points against new England and They sustained some nice drives where they had some turnovers. They made some mistakes. Tua had some interceptions in this past game against the Ravens, one that he just kind of tossed along the sideline. Uh, That was a very easy interception in the Ravens matchup. I mentioned the one that – Gary in the chat here, I'm, I'm assuming a Dolphins fan is not thrilled with me about, but it was an underthrown ball with a cornerback right there. Had the corner made a play on that or looked for it, it would have been an interception. So uh, I think Tua will make an inter- will make a mistake before Josh Allen in a matchup like this. I still like the Bills offense. Stefan Diggs, if you get Gabe Davis back into the fold there, this is a team that has scored a lot of points in two weeks against the reigning Super Bowl champions and the AFC's number one seed from one week ago. Uh, You know, no slouches on defense either, especially up front for both of those teams. They uh, saw a really good cornerback, obviously, in Ramsey on the Rams, uh, Byard in Tennessee for the safety position. So, you know, both of those teams had some star pieces to it. And that didn't even matter. Josh Allen, the offense is just rolling right now.
0: This is a great point here uh, to bring it up. I actually hadn't even uh, peaked because the injury report was so long today. And, w- and w- it was kind of like an off day today. Uh, the Bills did not practice. There was no um, availability for the media. Uh, so the zo- the, uh, uh, the coordinators were over Zoom. There's, a, there's some notable names on the Dolphins list as yeah. well, as Gary points out here. Taron Armstrong is dealing with a toe injury and Xavier Howard dealing with a groin, which actually makes a lot of sense. And I wonder if he might have been dealing with that in the game because he did not look like himself. I mean, Bateman just absolutely schooled him. And I, I like Bateman. I think he's a good player, uh, a nice young talent. He's got some some high end speed. But just the way that Howard didn't even try to really like, you know, run him down from behind, you know, and he dropped that interception. He, he looks like he's dealing with something. So a couple of nice. names are. Definitely uh, eye popping Armstrong Armstead in particular, because to me, he's the guy. He's the straw that stirs the drink on that offensive line. You know, I don't think it's very good anyway. If he doesn't play and you have to start moving some pieces around there, it could be open season for Von Miller, AJ Epinesa, Greg Russo and, and company.
1: Yeah, it it bodes well for that defensive line, which although they didn't sack uh, Ryan Tannehill as much as they did Stafford, they were still getting some pressure on the quarterback. same with the defensive tackles. Uh, Phillips had a nice hit on Tannehill last week. He had Rousseau with a sack. Obviously, Edmonds at the linebacker position. But yeah, if Miami's offensive line is missing one of their best players, I I think that bodes well for Von Miller and company. And uh, again, if Tua is getting pressure in his face, all throughout the game he's gonna most likely uh try to to play a little hero ball let a ball out that maybe he shouldn't have that I think this defense and specifically the secondary kind of feast upon
0: let's transition a little bit here I would like to get into this segment uh where we, we maybe talk a little bit about the surprises this year so far that maybe we weren't thinking about in June and July that you know have happened in these first two games that you know, have made an impression on both of us about this Bills football team. Why don't you start us off, Ryan? What What's the biggest surprise through two games?
1: Ken Dorsey. Uh, I, I thought Ken Dorsey was going to be a very good offensive coordinator for Buffalo in time. I thought there might have been some growing pains, though. So, some lumps, if you will, that you have to kind of go through it when you're a new offensive coordinator. Yes, he's been in the system for a few years as the quarterback's coach. He was a former college and NFL quarterback. So he's, he obviously is a very intelligent you know, former player, now coach. So I still thought, though, the first time that you're in the booth making those play calls, you're going to say, OK, here's what worked one week. Here's what worked, didn't work Then one week. What can we change? What can we adapt? What can we add into it? Well, through two weeks, I would say there's been a lot more. This is working. This is not than I expected, especially, again, against the, type, the quality type of team uh, teams that the Bills have played. These aren't slouches. They're not playing teams that are necessarily going to be vying for the number one overall pick next year. These are playoff teams, uh, especially in, in a weak division that the Titans are. And I think they have a good chance of making the playoffs this year after all. So the fact that Dorsey's come out and the offense has put up 31 points in the opener, uh, four touchdowns for Josh Allen, three with his arm, one with his legs. And then last week, he, or yes, on Monday, I should say, against Tennessee, four touchdowns through the air with Josh Allen's arm. Uh, he is dialing everything up correctly, and there aren't those growing pains that I was necessarily anticipating in the first two weeks. What about you?
0: No, I think it's a great, uh, a great one to start off with because the offense, I don't think anybody when projecting this thing thought it was going to look better than it did with Brian Dable in, in their four years. And of course, Brian Dable went out on a heater, right? Like the way they played in the Chiefs game last year. But it's been consistent now for, you know, seven quarters, I joke. Uh, even into the eighth, I thought James Cook played good well in the fourth quarter. But for me, I'm going to flip it over to the defensive side and talk about the Bills' handling of the cornerback spot. And I'm still really puzzled by the decision to go with Christian Benford as the starter. I think that for me, and listen, I don't think anything is necessarily a problem right now or or maybe it never will be, right? Like this is a, they're, they're a close pair of rookies. I mean, Kyer Elam said it, him and Benford are are good friends. I don't think that there's necessarily any animosity, but whether or not you want to admit it from a confidence level standpoint, when you're watching a sixth rounder get trouted out there at the beginning of the game. And when they go through on primetime games, two times to start the season and you go through and you, you all sit in a, in a seat to say, you know, to go through the starters, you know, my name is this. And I went to this school and both times on prime time you watch Christian Benford do that. I wonder if that's having any impact and maybe the bills, Leslie Flager, Steph, uh, Sean McDermott, they know their personnel so well that maybe this is something they think Motivates Kair Elam. And if it's close enough, you know, rewarding Christian Benford, I, I get that. I think they both played pretty well, and I think they've both been actually pretty comparable in coverage. I thought Kyir Elam might have been even a, a little bit better in the last game from a coverage perspective. And if it's that close, even if Benford, you trust a little bit more from a zone perspective is something that Brandon Bean brought up after roster cutdowns, and he's played a little bit more zone than the press that Kair played at at Florida. Why not at least, if you're going to split time anyway, why not just have Elon be the starter? I'm puzzled by it, and I don't necessarily think it's the wrong decision or the wrong move, but it just seems like it has the potential to maybe go off the tracks.
1: And, and that's, I, I can't argue with that. It sends a message to Elam that, you know, we're, we're going with this day three pick over our, you, our first round pick for sure. Uh, I, I do agree with, though, with what you mentioned, Brandon Bean mentioning what Michael Stagner Jr. said here in the chat. I think Frazier went scheme fit uh, over most talented because in terms of natural talent, in terms of what their games could, you know, the ceilings, I think higher Elam has a higher ceiling uh, from that natural talent perspective, the speed, the, the attributes, but Benford is a great Ooh. fit for this defense based on what he has done at Villanova, based on how he looked this summer. Uh, and, you know, I, I think in the NFL, they're all getting a nice paycheck. You, ha- you kind of have to put feelings aside sometimes with the Super Bowl roster and say, who's going to help us the most out of the gate against two really talented teams uh, or one really talented team, especially in the, in the opener against the Rams. Who do we have the most faith in out of the gate? And right now that might be Benford three weeks from now, five weeks from now, maybe they've seen enough from Elam where they can say, okay, I think that he can be the guy. I think that he can be that starter and, and maybe just comes in due time. Uh, but, but where it stands now, I, I understand where you're coming from. Uh, I just think that it's also uh, fair that Frazier and company might've said, okay, w- we just think that right now, Benford's in a better spot because of the experience he has in that zone coverage.
0: You know, to put everybody in a better spot, if, they go and check out the Tops bonus plus card. All right. Now through October 29th, every time you use your Tops bonus plus card to purchase participating brands like Pepsi, Campbell, Smithfield, and so many more at TOPS, you're automatically entered for a chance to win the Tailgate and Go Kitchen, which we talked about at the top of the show, for the ultimate tailgating experience. And speaking of an ultimate experience, let's let's bring him in right now. Bring him in. The man, the myth, the legend, two attack of violas, biggest advocate. Biggest fan mm. out mm. there, Nathan Gary.
2: Mm. How are you, my friend? I'm well. I'm <laughs> well. Uh, I'm excited. Um, I've been strategically a little quiet this week uh, on Twitter uh, for good reasons. I have. I was showing uh, Drew Gear. Uh, it was on the Rock Power Report, and then I got home, and here I am with you guys. I was showing Drew that I've got this like long list. I think it's roughly sixty tweets that I have bookmarked from Dolphins (laughs) fans dating back to training camp to now that I am absolutely 100. I'm just absolutely so stoked to bring them out on Sunday, right around four five.
0: All right. Um, That's going to be a show. Uh, Nate, Nate is nothing if not professional and courteous on game days with opposing teams fans. So I'm looking forward to it, buddy. Um, So we brought you on here right in the middle of a, a segment we were doing. And I, I wanted to ask you and pose this question before we go too deep into the Tua dive uh, that mm-hmm. I want to do with you a little bit, because there's a lot to talk about with this, this quarterback here early in year yeah. three, the bills. We have eight quarters now to sink our teeth into uh, we were talking about the things that maybe have surprised us through two weeks, you know, and I, I talked about, you know, the, the cornerback situation that Christian yeah. Benford's been starting over Kair. Ryan uh, mentioned Ken Dorsey's seamless transition into offensive coordinator Are either of those, the biggest surprise to you, or is there something else that's kind of stuck out to you early?
2: You know, to me, uh, I'll kind of stick with Ryan's thoughts there on Ken Dorsey, but, I think it's the personnel usage to me that's been maybe the most surprising um, to me early on the season. I mean, seeing them pass out of 22 personnel multiple times on Monday night, seeing Reggie Gilliam become part of the game plan as a pass catcher, and it wasn't just the touchdown catch. I mean, he was inches away from a sig- – it, it had Pat DeMarco wild card, you know, against Houston <laughs> feels to it a little bit, cross his body down the field, thrown to a fullback nobody really uh, had as much feedback on, on that near miss than they did the Pat DeMarco one. But, you know, it's the infusion of Reggie Gilliam. It's the usage of Quentin Morris. It's, you know, using Jay Coomer, even when Gabriel Davis is healthy. Um, I love the, you know, they're kind of getting the best of both worlds in their usage of Jamison Crowder and, um, and Isaiah McKenzie. Like, I just love, they're using everybody on the roster. Um, offensively at the, at the skill position. All three running backs are getting opportunities. I would like to see them scale back the usage of Zach Moss a little bit. I, I just, I get it. They truly subscribe to the committee approach. I, I just, like, I think Devin Singletary's earned the right to be there right now. And I know he struggled and and that probably led to, you know, seeing more Zach Moss uh, in the middle parts of that football game. But I, I've got to think here for me, the usage of, or just, the creativity, the different looks, it's, you know, Ken Dorsey isn't coming up with new plays, new terminology. He's coming up with new ways to disguise that terminology, to disguise those same concepts that Brian Dable have been running. And so far, we're, there have been great returns. I mean, 72 points or two games um, and two punts. It's a pretty darn good start to the season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No complaints there. Uh, you, you know, you mentioned the running back room and uh, something that man I wanted to discuss tonight was Zach Moss specifically. Is he still in the spot where you feel confident about him getting a jersey on Sunday? Or is this the point where because of the personnel, because of all the mixing and matching that he like that uh, Ken Dorsey likes to do, that maybe this is a week where you put uh, Zach Moss on that inactive list. You kind of go with a, a one-two punch with Singletary and Cook. And then maybe it allows you to, to have a little bit more creativity, flexibility in your wide receiver room.
2: You know, I don't think so. Time and time again, example after example, Sean McDermott sort of wanting to insulate young players with veterans. Um, and, and I think, you know, you have Devin Singletary go down early at a football game and all you've got is the rookie. You know, you're going to feel like as a coach, you didn't do enough to protect, to insulate James Cook, um, you know, in only his third NFL game. So it's not been a, a 33-33-33 split exactly last week. It felt that way. Uh, week one, obviously, it. I, I wonder what week one looks like if James Cook doesn't fumble his first carry. Like, is it you know three three three? It it very much could have been. I just I, I the offense to me in terms of the running game, they've just been better with Devin Singletary on the field, and that I've kind of come full circle on Singletary. I wasn't the biggest Singletary fan, and he just has done everything to take that job. But six catches in week one from Zach Moss was. And and again, I I don't know if James Cook doesn't fumble if those six catches are those six targets are going to James Cook. I don't know. But I just I kind of keep leaning on the fact that of who Sean McDermott is, you know, they had Khalil Shakir in active week one. And I think in large part to the fact that they wanted Jamison Crowder back there returning kicks uh, or at least punts because of that veteran presence, that security blanket that he truly it just this organization values veterans it values experience um and early on in the campaign they're going to do everything they can to insulate these young players until they've really earned it and taken the job and so far james cook had some nice had some nice pieces on film from monday night particularly that run down the sidelines that he almost broke for a touchdown i think eventually the phasing out of zach moss happens i just you know is it now is it this week is it next week I'm not sure. I I, I I, think I might want to sit and wait and kind of see how that develops. But I am a little it, – it's a little head-scratching to me that it's not more Devin Singletary. I
0: don't think that like with all three of them active and in the game plan that you can get away if you're the Bills with not giving the ball to Moss at least a little bit. Like I think mm-hmm. the reason I brought this up was with Ryan before the show – was because I think if, if you just go to him and say, we want to, we don't run a lot already. We're going to try to get one back going. There might be an opportunity where we flip things at some point if it's not working. I don't know. It was just a thought that went through my mind. I'm with you, Nate. I don't think that it's going to actually happen just because I think that they want to keep him in the right headspace. He's healthy. You know, it, it hasn't gone great so far from a running perspective, but you mentioned the six catches. And I think they also, Ryan, have this in their back pocket where it's like, okay, if we need to kind of shift gears and take a fork in the road, we went Devin Singletary heavy late last year and it worked and we know it worked. So if we need to kind of pivot, if the offense isn't, you know, working, we can do that. But so far, Ryan, it's been working.
1: It has been. And, you know, Nate mentioned something about this coaching staff, this regime, trusting their veterans. And I think that's that's kind of twofold. You look at the running back situation. uh, James Cook, as as much as he has that extra gear that Singletary and Moss don't have, he doesn't have necessarily the pass blocking uh, expertise that they might be looking for from uh, Moss and, and from Singletary. And that's that's a big factor. And, you know, it is. Much of a fan as, as I was the summer of Khalil Shakir, he had a big whiff on a block in that that game on Monday Night Football where yep. it kind of goes back to, okay, had that been a veteran there, maybe they make that block. Maybe the Bills convert that fourth down play. Uh, it goes back to what Nate said, and, and specifically for this running back room, I, I agree that I think you keep Moss active for now. Eventually, you do say, we want to get one of these guys going. We might be using... Uh, cook more specifically at one point in the season as a pass catcher but that your time might come we might need you back there as a block or we might need you in this kind of role uh, but th- the role that they have kind of carved out for him now I'm not sure that he is that short yardage guy that I think they were hoping for or envisioning he's had a lot of opportunities in his short career here with the bills and there hasn't been a lot of success that doesn't mean that he's not going to be able to be someone that you can't count on on first and second downs. But I just don't think that that role, that specific role that maybe they had carved out in mind for him is what Moss should be doing at this point in time.
0: Nate, let me ask you this before you go. Is there a guy you could think of in this league that really thrives on under 10 touches a game in the run game? Maybe Jay like a, like McKissick, is somebody that maybe, but he's more in the passing game. Mm-hmm. Um, our producer AJ uh, brings up Tony Pollard. That's a that's a that's a good one, maybe.
1: Tony, but Pollard. it's not
0: it's not very common. It's it no. really isn't. And I think that's part of the problem here is that none of these backs, Devin yeah. included, and I've talked to him about this, unless they're getting fed 15 times a game. It's it's hard to get
2: into these games. It is, and listen, I don't envy their position, it's hard to feel like you're getting into a groove or getting into a groove and then kind of taking a backseat to somebody else because of a situation or, or down in distance. And, you know, I, I think the thing with Devin Singletary is he possesses certain traits that you look at Zach Moss and say, that guy has them. Just look at him. Devin Singletary rarely goes down in the first contact. If a defensive line, if an offensive lineman misses and whiffs on a block, and there's a defensive tackle in Devin Singletary's face, he's getting back to the line of scrimmage at worst, or he's going to make that guy miss get upfield and find positive yards. The thing I've been disappointed with Zach Moss is the the business decision idea, right? Is when he gets going and he's got momentum, well then he becomes this physical specimen, this back that can get downhill. And that's a real business decision, but unless he gets one or two or three steps, it's sometimes it looks like he's stuck in mud to me. Um, and, And that's really where I thought you were getting a little bit more short area burst. From Zach Moss, I knew you weren't getting that that top end, that that straight line speed, and that's not what you're getting with Devin Singletary. But what you are getting with Singletary is that short yardage burst. You know, you hear, uh, you you heard Rex Ryan talk about Shady McCoy and that you know you can make a, a guy miss in a phone booth, right? And that and I subscribe to that same ideal for Devin Singletary. I just you know I think there's kind of working he things. Here's the thing that, and I was going to mention this is with Ken Dorsey, is I love the fact that you get 16 yards in the first carry zero, zero, five, zero, zero, zero. And you say, this isn't working. We're going to pass the ball 21 straight times. And, you know, sometimes with Brian Dable, and I don't know how much of this is new offensive coordinator and and the laissez-faire approach from from Sean McDermott. This thing's yours. I want you to, especially early in the season, to find your way. And I'm not going to be here in your ear on the sideline after the game. I might give it to you and tell you what I didn't like or, or I liked or didn't like. But during the game, it really feels like, He has the autonomy to do what he feels is necessary within the course of a game. And now that's not to say that Brian Dable didn't have opportunities or didn't use 15, 16, 20 straight passes in a row in a game. But in this game in particular, there was a, this isn't working. We're going to go to the thing we know is working and not try to beat a dead horse, not try to run for the sake of running. And instead they used an extension of the run game. They were quick passes to Stefan Diggs, the RPO game and saying, okay, Josh, let's go with check with me's let's let you decide when the run is appropriate. And I love the, the, the ownership that Josh now has in this offense. And it's very apparent to me on game days.
1: Yeah. I love that talking point. Nate, uh, I, I can go back to a game where Brian Dibble had like 17, 18 straight passes yep. against jets. the jets, but that was scripted. Those are scripted plays. That's, right, that's right. different where, as you said, Dorsey in game said, okay, we're running to a brick wall here. Let's stop trying to do something that's not working. And, uh, make those short passes work hurt hurt the defense with Josh Allen's arm make him pay in that way and not go back to it until you know later in the third quarter so 21 straight plays over an hour long as Joe DiBiase pointed out on, <laughs> on Twitter that I caught there it, it was good it was good coaching by Dorsey in terms yeah. of Let's not overthink this. We have one of the best quarterbacks in the league. We have right. a lot of receivers that can get open in the short passing game that can extend, uh turn a 5-yard gain into a 12-yard gain or or more depending on, you know, what happens there. So that that's a great talking point. Speaking of a great talking point, let's 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 talk a bit about value home centers
0: really quick. Right now they uh they have their weekly ad out. You go over to the website, check it out. You can get deals on all different types of paint, grassy, turf builder, roundup. You got a couple last minute uh, grill deals before the the snow starts coming. Great website. They're hiring right now. Go, you need a job, go over to value home centers, check it out. They got a lot of uh, different opportunities for you and you could join their text program to start saving even more text value VALU to 80692. You'll receive exclusive coupons, see the weekly deals and so much more.
2: Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.
0: Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th All right, we buried the lead, uh, Nate Gary. To a time, it is to a time, and it is to a time, figuratively and literally this week. I mean, th- to come off of that game as a segue into Bills Week, where he's been pretty much atrocious over the course of his career against this defense. Sean McDermott has confused him, has you know made it really just. I mean, it was so bad early last season, he got knocked out of a game by A.J. Epinesa in, to this, before the start of this season, the only game that A.J. Epinesa's ever popped in. So I guess let's start with where you're at. What did last week's performance do in the a meter in terms of your belief in him potentially being a franchise quarterback?
2: It certainly raised eyebrows. Um, and you know, I went back and I watched the other day and and kind of thought to myself before the Bills game, you know, I was trying to kill some time and I decided to watch that, throw the film on through the L22 and watch it. And, you know, there were some things that stood out to me. You know, it's hard for me because of the first half that he played. Um, mm-hmm. it was it was not good. Um, and obviously they were down big, and part of that game is he did a lot of his work in garbage time and garbage time eventually became crunch time. And in crunch time, he had that drive to go ahead, that throw to waddle. I thought it was there were, you saw a lot of things, a lot of promising things. What I think over overarchingly I saw is a scheme that works in his favor, that leans into his strengths. Mm -hmm. And listen, I, to me, I'm making more of that performance my, my the questions I left that game thinking was is is to a it was not is to a franchise quarterback or it, am I wrong in my assessment are are are, did, are is the last two years and the first seven quarters the first six quarters of the season a uh, fallacy in the two quarters we saw him really elevate his game is this the guy or is the larger sample size the guy and before I even got there I thought to myself. What are the Ravens doing? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, zero blitz, uh, I mean, just terrible blown coverage. What are you blitzing Tua for? I mean, you I was you gonna would, ask
0: that. Are the Bills blitzing no, one time,
2: Sunday? No, I don't you know if they'll blitz. Seven, at all. You want seven, eight in coverage. You want Tua to force balls into windows because those windows in the NFL are very small. They're not they're not SEC windows, they're not, you know. Bama versus Vanderbilt. They're not Bama versus, you know, San Jose state. These are much smaller windows. And when he, when, when teams force him, he, I will say this, he showed some really nice things in in, in anticipation and that, that has always been his thing. And that's the thing that he is very, very good at. That's how he is an NFL quarterback is the anticipation throws um, the timing and rhythm throws. He is very good at those. I'll stop short as calling him elite because I don't know that he's elite at anything. But he's very good. He's very serviceable at those those middle of the field in breaking uh, anticipatory throws where you got to lead a guy to a spot. But the second that internal clock gets to three seconds, four seconds, and you saw it at times during that game is the happy feet and not knowing what to do and a little bit of panic because he does not have that extracurricular that ability to create with his legs to extend plays. And then stretch the ball down the field. So the stretching of the ball, those vertical plays, they happen in phase, they happen on schedule. And when you can force him off schedule, that's really where you can force him and turn him into making mistakes. And that the interception before the half was egregious that, I mean, throwing it at double coverage and throwing it, I mean, basically into the, into the hands of of a Ravens defender. So there were some really good things to take. I, I, I simply I'm not taking away the guy threw for 469 yards and six touchdowns. I mean, that was a very, very impressive performance from the stat sheet. But I, I don't think I'm going to put that much stock into it until I see him do it against a defense like the Bills that are playing right now and a defense that is not going to have lapses in coverage, even with two rookie corners. I'm very confident in Leslie Frazier, Sean McDermott's preparation of these young corners. They are prepared for the moment. It's very clear. Christian Benford is it's been clear to me in coverage that Kyer Elam is. If you could somehow combine Elam and Benford, you have the all around do it all corner to me rather right? like Kyer Elam. You worry about his physicality, willingness to get in there and get his nose dirty and tackle. You don't worry about that with Benford. And I like what I've seen from Kyer Elam in coverage, but overall, I think there's a lot of things. If you're a dolphins fan, this is the ammunition you've been looking for to say, yes, this is our franchise quarterback. This is the guy. I mean, I know Joe made this point, DiBiase, like Mitch Trubisky threw for six touchdowns in a game, right? And like he's not a franchise quarterback. So you can catch lightning in a bottle. This is a league of a lot of randomness. Football is about a lot of randomness. To me, is Tua Tunga Viola capable when you're rushing four, three and four and the bills are getting home, which they do better than anybody in football right now, which is getting home with rushing four and dropping back seven. If they have success against the bills, it goes a long way to making me a believer. I would say that.
1: I think that's fair. And I think I'm at that point where I think you can win with Tua, but you're not going to win most weeks because of him. Right. Uh, if everything is good around him he, you, you can win. And, and, you know, Nate, I want to I shift over to Tyreek Hill. How much has the addition of Tyreek Hill helped Tua, though, in your opinion, early on this season?
2: I mean, no doubt. And, you know, I, I don't even think we've quite seen the areas that he'll help him most, which is the yards after catch and inflating some of those statistics, right? Like, what we saw mostly on, on Sunday afternoon was breakdowns in coverage. I mean, him just running free down the sidelines – I mean, Ryan, I haven't seen you throw a football, but I got the feeling that you could have hit Tyreek Hill open on a couple of those plays. But I want to be semi-critical without completely wiping out or without completely dis, you know, discrediting what he did. I thought it was impressive. He impressed me, but I, I, I still have some reservations about the things that he still didn't show in that game, which again is off script and off schedule when things break down can he create and i think if you are in your three step game and your five step game and that ball's coming out at the top of his drop like it was on sunday and that ball's being and it's being led to Tyreek Hill Tyreek Hill makes one guy miss he can he's off to the races the bills know that right that's where i'm most concerned is it, the one thing that i keep going back to Dolphins fans always like to say like well look what Tyreek Hill did to the bills he's going to do the same thing with with Tua quarterback and i would caution Dolphins fans and understanding. Diggs for Allen, you
0: mean, right? Diggs for Allen. Well,
2: no, like, and with with Tyree Hill, I, I view it like this, right? Which is the connection between Mahomes and Hill was so unique to me. A guy that can hold the ball five, six, seven seconds and release the ball down the field, that is not Tua. Like, is he going to be able to break off those 60-yard, you know, yards after catch after a five-yard out route and take it to the crib when it's not, Holding the ball, holding the ball, holding the ball, breakdown and in, in coverage. Because the Bills zones, they they are not a speed defense. They don't have speed at the corner or at the defensive back position. What they have is an understanding of spacing, leverage, and I, I think a really strong understanding of their zones and how to be in them and how to use that to their advantage. And what's the one thing that breaks down zone coverage? extending plays outside of the pocket, forcing guys out of their responsibilities. And that's not what this Dolphins defense or offense is going to be doing to the bills on, on, on Sunday.
0: I got a couple of things that I want to kind of get into here with two. Cause I actually went back about an hour before this. I've not watched the all 22 view and a couple of those throws. I would have liked to have seen differently, but I think some of the things you hit on are, 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 are perfectly said. Like, I don't know what the Baltimore secondary was doing. This is a team historically, that doesn't make those kinds of mistakes against They miss wink. Yeah. They miss wink. And they also have a rookie safety. And I know you guys are both uh, golden Domer fans, but it's not been a good look for, for Kyle Hamilton so far. It's not all on him. I thought on the one play, I don't care if you think you have safety help. The quarterback just st- dead stop with Tyreek Hill running by you. That is like a, I don't care what happens underneath. I'm going to go with Tyreek Hill. I don't even care if it's your assignment. You have to, you know, be a little bit more. Uh, you know, thinking in the moment. Couple things. Number one, Tua's got this deal that he does where if he's going through his progressions and it's not happening, he doesn't like what he sees. By the third stop, uh, when, when he scans the field, he starts doing this kind of like waddle, which ironic, right? And it's like this shuffling of his feet where he gets really antsy and he usually makes really bad passes. Yeah. He throws yeah. off of his back foot. He did it a couple times in this game. And that's something he's not been able to flush out of his system. And when people compare the potential for him to break out to Josh Allen, what did Josh Allen do after his first two years in the league? He went back to the drawing board with Jordan Palmer and he mm-hmm. literally digitally mapped his mapped his mechanics and figured out how to stop making the dumb mistakes he did with his footwork. Two is still doing that. And I think he's going to do that on Sunday. Here's the other thing. You get him out of structure, you flush Tua out of the pocket, and it's over. It's turnover-worthy plays every single time. And I think that's kind of what you're thinking is, you know, you're going to flush him out. I thought Ryan Tannehill gets rid of the ball really quickly. He doesn't have the same kind of limited mobility that Tua has. But I think those are the two keys of the game is just sit back. Let Tua – If he's going to dink and dunk down the field and you have to put hits on Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill, those hits are going to add up after a while.
2: Yeah, what you got to do is not let him get to his first read. Force him to get to that third, that second, third, fourth progression because that's really where he struggles because once you're three, four seconds – now your routes are developing further and further down the field, or further, or closer and closer to the sidelines, and that's where his limited arm strength really becomes evident and apparent. Is when he's got to throw a late ball to the sidelines, recipe for disaster. The other thing too is, you know, in, in fairness to Kyle Hamilton, I, I don't know what you're doing putting him on an island with a single high safety. Like mm-hmm. you're not going to see too many single high safety looks from the Bills on Sunday. They're going to play their their two high shell, and they're going to force two of them to dink and dunk them. And the question for me is. <clears throat> Will you see more of Gregory Rousseau? And, and I think you may, due to some of the injuries they're seeing in the middle right now with Jordan Phillips. I don't know if he's going to play. Do we see more boogie Basham on the edge? And do you see Gregory Rousseau apply some pressure from the three technique position? We saw it in that unbelievable sack. He just overpowered that Titans offensive guard. And Robert Hunt and Liam Eikenberg, not, I mean, again, Eikenberg, a Notre Dame guy, he's yeah, not I was a guard. Say. Where it's are we going? A here, <laughs> it's not a guard. Not a guard. Okay. No, um. Does not have the short area quickness to, in my or the strength, in my opinion, he's a he's a depth tackle at this point in his career, and that's kind of what it looks like for Eichenberg. But I wonder if you get the length and the overpowering nature of Rousseau in the middle, because that's really where I think you can affect two of the most. He said this as much in a press conference last week. If I can't see a guy. I can't throw it to him. I got to be able, you got to make yourself available to me to throw it because he's not the biggest guy. Um, he doesn't have that arm strength or maybe that trust in his arm to be able to throw guys open. So for me this week, it's maybe less about the edge pressure and more about if you can get pressure from the middle, that forces him to get to the sidelines with his progressions. And that's really where you could have a field day against this Dolphins offense.
1: Yeah, I love that point uh, grew even when he it doesn't necessarily get to the quarterback, which he did against Tannehill. But even if he doesn't, he's really good with his hands in terms of getting them up, anticipating when the quarterback's going to throw the ball. We've seen some batted passes from him past his defense early this season. We saw some of that last year uh, take away some of those lanes, the passing lanes for two, as you mentioned. And that's the same thing that I'm anticipating or expecting from Tremaine Edmonds as well. The wingspan where he sits in that defense. He can take away a lot of the throws that uh, Tegaviola might be looking for on Sunday it's going to be an interesting chess match but Leslie Frazier Sean McDermott they have dialed up some really good game plans against Miami here in these past few seasons uh, with Tua at quarterback and I'm in I'm expecting more of the same on Sunday
2: and I'll tell you this the the Ravens don't have Taron Johnson and where you saw the one play was it it wasn't the touchdown to Waddle but it was a long play where he gets that double move in the middle of the field gets that out or was it maybe it was an in-cut and then to out or out to in, and Tua kind of hits him right across the face of the linebacker, you're not going to see Tremaine Edmonds on an island man-to-man with, with Tyreek Hill. And, and where they're going to, I think, deploy Tyreek Hill a lot is from the slot, right, because it's a shorter throw. you got more field to work with. And you can hit those, those easy arrow routes where, you know, Hill catches the ball, turns upfield, and missed tackling is maybe gone. The zone coverage of this Bill's linebacking crew right now is at a level that I have not seen both of them play at. And the big reason for that, guys, there's a lot of double-team requirements on this defensive line. And it's not just the interior guys, it's the edge guys. You, if you're Liam Eikenberg, you're Robert Hunt, you're Connor Williams, what are you going to do? You're going to try to get to the second level? You're going to try to get hands on Tremaine Edmonds? You're going to try to get hands on Matt Milano and run looks? No, you're not. Uh, The reason is, is you don't double-team Jordan Phillips. He's ruining your day. You don't double-team Daquan Jones. He's ruining your day. And right now, you got to have two eyes, two sets of eyes on Von Miller on the edge. So I think that opens up things. And and you could see both Edmonds and Milano just playing so freely, understanding leverage, understanding where they're supposed to be. And to to your point, Ryan, having Edmonds get his hands in those those passing lanes.
0: You know, Tua here on Sunday against this Bills front, I I love the fact that you brought up Daquan Jones. I think that if, if I had an a, a addendum to my uh, biggest surprise, it, it, it would be Daquan Jones and his immediate impact, not only as like a a, a gap filler, but like as a disruptor. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, and he lit up talking about it. Like I, I was I was chatting with him in, in the room last week about it. And he's like, you come here and it's like they let you do a little bit of everything. And I don't think he's used to that. I mean, in Tennessee, he had one job and that was, you know, fill a hole. Take on a double team and, and and be that one tech. Be a one gap here. player. Yep. Yeah. And here, you know, Jordan Phillips, historically, I'm sure that that's probably what Arizona wanted him to do at 330 pounds. And now he gets the rusted passer. Let me ask you guys this, and, and both of you can ping pong this a little bit. Oliver is limited today, uh, which is a good sign. Maybe he's making yep. his way back uh, from the ankle. Jordan Phillips dealing with the hamstring. Didn't practice today. Who's more important in this game? Because – I don't think you can diminish Ed Oliver's importance, but I do think that we saw Phillips's importance on Monday night against Tennessee with what he was able to do consistently next to Daquan Jones.
2: And he's just a firecracker. I mean, he is a, he's a emotional spark plug for this defense as sort of as Phillips goes, this defense goes, that's a, it's a good question because I, I just think he's been so difficult to block early on this season. He is truly a two gap interior defensive lineman with elite pass rushing ability. And it's, to me, it's wild that they weren't able to unlock that in Arizona at all. I mean, it just, I don't know if it was just, well, isn't is that much and, of a
0: surprise that Arizona wasn't able to unlock something? Mate? I,
2: I mean, I guess not. I mean, a good Cliff Kingsbury is not the, not the most impressive thing I've, I've, I've seen in a in scheme offensively certainly isn't, but he looks like a different player renewed, rejuvenated. And I, I'll still go back to saying that Ed Oliver is a slasher. He is a true penetrating interior defensive lineman, his quickness, here's what I'll say is I know that the, the comparison to, to Aaron Donald never really hand out uh, the way that a lot of people talked about where he compares to Aaron Donald though, is his off ball quickness. He's like, if Jerry Hughes played interior defensive line and, and had an extra 40 pounds, like he, his get off his quickness, his, his pass rush plans, he just, he gets upfield. He's not as you can tell he's learned a thing or two in his time. Like the experience that Ed Oliver has gained over the first four years of his career, it is on display to me because he was a guy that teams used that aggressiveness that quick start against him they'd run traps they'd run at him um, they'd have swinging guards pull and, and and you'd get that trap play behind him because he was so aggressive getting upfield and teams were using that against him at some point midway through last year Matt something clicked with him he understood that teams how teams were using his strengths against him and he started to become a more whole you know kind of all around player but Yeah, I I, I still think if you can get out Oliver close to 80, 85, 90 percent, that he's going to be a major key, major key to this game.
1: And I'm going to go agree with Nate on this one with Oliver being more important just because of what he can do from uh, being a disruptor for stopping in terms of getting after Tua. And he's still very good now in terms of stopping the run As good as Jordan Phillips has been. You still have a Daquan Jones. You still have possibly a Tim settle uh, coming back into the mix here. You have other guys that can kind of uh, eat up some space. And I'm not saying that's all Jordan Phillips does because Matt, to your credit, uh, he he's shown that he can get after the quarterback. He can do a lot. He can pump up his teammates, pump up the crowd. Uh, but I just think from the, the overall skill perspective, you're, you're getting more from Oliver's game. If he can be close to a hundred percent.
0: Yeah. And I think that you can do more with Oliver anyway. Uh, I was just kind of more wanted to spark, spark a little conversation. I, I think if you get Oliver back, he's the guy that, you know uh, I think it means more just because of what the Quan Jones has been like. Yeah, Dude, you, you're you talking about get off, Nate? Like, he's blowing me away with how quickly he gets off the ball. He does. You look at him. Yeah. And he's you look sturdy. at him. He doesn't look super athletic either. Like, no, he, he's kind of a little bit of a heavier dude. But man, he he just brings it. He gets gets off, gets up. It, it's it's pretty impressive to watch.
2: Everything that fans really desperately wanted Star Tula Le to be. Mm. Mm-hmm. We were just talking about this. Yeah, we were just talking about this. I don't think. In two games. Oh, my God. He's already. Yes. (laughs) In three years, Star was here and playing 100%. I mean, more impact in two games than we saw from Star in his entire
1: tenure here. Yeah, no argument here. (laughs) I thought you were going to say something, Ryan. That's why I. No, no, no. I can't argue with that.
0: Well, I can't argue with uh, the deals going on over at Topps Friendly Markets right now. Let Tops do all the work for you on your game day and your tailgating spreads. It's perfect for game day or any day. Visit Tops' Carryout Cafe for hot-to-go fresh large cheese and pepperoni pizzas, 14 bucks. Jumbo chicken wings, 10 count, 14 bucks. Tops' legendary breakfast pizza, large, $20. bucks. you have had the, the, the breakfast pizza, right, Nate? Come on. Oh, it's elite. It's elite. 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 Pizza or taco log, six count. 769, baby back, rib sections, uh, subs, sandwiches, wraps, apps, sides, and so much more. Visit topsmarkets.com slash red zone for the complete menu of ready to enjoy fan favorites. Nay, hey, why don't you let everybody know where they can find you in a couple Fridays? I'm I'm really bummed that I'm not gonna be able to make your event. I'm gonna be traveling with the family, mm. but you got a bash uh coming up for Bill's Mafia, and it's for a great cause.
2: Yeah, I'm really excited. I'm anxious, stressed. Uh, you know, we're um, we're nine days, uh, I believe, right now, nine days away from the event. Friday, September 30th, at Thin Man Brewing uh, on uh, on Elmwood here, which is like right across the street from me here, um, in Elmwood Village. And uh, yeah, you know, Thin Man and and big shout out to Thin Man. I mean, the the amount of time, effort, work, and and care they've put into you know, creating this beer with me, which is just really exciting. And, you know, consumers picked it up and you can get this beer. It's Kolsch versus cancer. It's a guava flavored Kolsch. It's going to be at every consumer's beverage in Western New York. And on that can is a little QR code. You can uh, donate directly to my campaign for real men wear pink. Uh, If you want to come to the event, I've got some unbelievable raffle items, Uh, just the, the giving nature of Western New York businesses uh, going out of their way, not to just give me here's a hundred dollar gift card and go on your way, but like experiences at restaurants here in Buffalo. If you've never been to the little club on hurdle, come in, buy a raffle ticket, throw some in there, a five course tasting menu with five wine pairings. It's going to be, that place is one of the best on best kept secrets in Buffalo on hurdle Mm -hmm. Avenue, uh, right across from Lombardo, um, Casa Azul down here in the city, uh, a full 15-person margarita happy hour with appetizers included. You know, we've got this Seinfeld script that Howard Simon's cousin, Jason Alexander, got me. Those are going to be $25 a ticket. What a, a unique and really cool raffle prize. Uh, 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 a Consumers Beverage gave us a, uh, a, a single tap kegerator. Uh, so there's a little something for everyone, for your wife, your girlfriend, your kids. Um, there's prizes for everyone in all of it. It's going to a great cause, and I'm really excited. Uh, culmination of a lot of months of preparation and hard work.
0: It's awesome, man. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the pictures and hearing you talk all about it uh, after it goes down. I'll I'll miss it, but I'll, I'll try and be there next year. Ryan, final thought before we get out of here.
1: Final thought, I'm looking forward to this game on Sunday. You know, Matt, you wrote an article a few weeks ago with Dolphins fans just wanting buffalo and you know be careful what you wish for and i I still think on sunday even with that laundry list of injuries the bills are going to kind of go in there and do what they've done the past few seasons against miami and uh really put a stamp on who is in charge of the afc east thank you to nate geary
0: pre-game post-game show has you covered over on wgr 550 every saturday you can find him on the buffalo rumblings channel as well with our good buddy bruce uh nolan Uh, for Food for Thought, which is uh, always a great listen every Friday night. He's Ryan. He's Nate. I'm Matt. We'll be right back. Friday night. Preview show. Tune in. Take care, everybody.
1: Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.